We're going to continue today uh, the sermon series that we are following through this autumn term on the subject of godly words. That is to say, how do our words, how does what we say, uh, how, how, how do the things that we speak out reflect the character and nature of God? How can we learn from God's word to us in Jesus and God's word in Scripture about how we should live and how we should use our, our speech and our words And uh, today we are looking at the subject of slow words, by which I think I mean being slow to speak, taking caution over what we say and when we say it, allowing space for silence, allowing space to listen deeply to what God has to say to us, to listen deeply to what we may hear through one another, not always being in a rush to contribute our words into the maelstrom of uh, language that is around us. And I think it's particularly appropriate that today we think about this subject on Remembrance Sunday, and we think about what it means to pause in silence, to reflect and to remember those who have gone before us, those through whom God has spoken words of wisdom to us, And I want to explore how these two things relate, how we remember and how we can learn to be slow to speak and to use our words slowly. Well, why is this necessary? Why is this even a topic at all? Well, I think it's because we're surrounded by words all the time. We live in an age which is plagued by constant, a constant barrage of words affecting us, imposing on us, closing in on us. You only need walk down the street and you will be uh, hit on every side by advertising words, by words of businesses, words that want your attention, by words that seek to get your money, your affiliation, your loyalty, your affection. And whereas it used to be the case that you would walk past a billboard and there would be one advert there, now you walk past a digital billboard and there's eight adverts in the in the, in, the, in the few moments that you're walking past as they change and videos and things which keep on grabbing for our attention. And perhaps if you're trying to kind of screen out uh, all the words from your eyes, you may have your earbuds in or your headphones on and you are listening to words, words of songs, words in music, words of podcasts, words of radio programs. There can be this kind of constant uh, pressure of words around us. And if you go home and you close the door and you sit down in your living room for some peace and quiet, you probably turn on the TV and then you scroll through the words of Netflix or the Sky Planner or whatever it is as you look for something to watch. And, uh, and if you're like most people nowadays in our age, you have a large screen in the corner of your living room upon which you watch uh, the TV programs and you scroll through the words of the, the channel guide as you choose something to watch. Uh, and then in your hand, you have a small screen through which you scroll uh, through your social media feeds. So you have words in your left hand and you control the words on the screen with your right hand. And you're sort of dominated and plagued and captivated by uh, these words all the time. And, and the words of our social media feeds and our phones and the newspapers and the blogs that we read um, demand our attention. And not only do they demand our attention, sometimes they demand our attention and our unthinking uh, contribution of those words back into our own networks. Like, share, 
comment forward. There's nothing wrong with spending time reading and reflecting. I'm not saying that by any means. In fact, later on, I want to encourage us to think about the times we make to pause, to read, to consider, and to reflect. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the very nature of social media is that they want you to take these words, and rather than necessarily reflecting on them, chewing them over, they want you to share them, to send them spinning back out into the digital realm for other people uh, to experience and encounter. And so we live in an age which struggles with silence. By which I don't just mean actual silence. We can find actual silence very difficult. Today, on Remembrance Sunday, it's always a day where we experience very, very tangibly just how long two minutes is when you stand in silence. But we struggle with the silence of words in wider life, when our phone screens are locked, when the TV is off, when we find ourselves in a place with no connectivity, no place through which words can come to us, we find it difficult. Now, God shows us in this passage that if we're going to follow him, if we're going to grow in our faith, we will need to contend with silence. We will need to learn how to hold the constant pressure of words at bay. That's what he says, my dear brothers and sisters, verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. What does it mean to listen well? What does it mean to listen as opposed to simply here, because there's noise around us all the time. But what does it mean to focus our attention and to listen? I think it is about learning to be attentive in those moments of interaction, attentive to the voice of another person in conversation, attentive, reflective to the voice of a person in a blog that you read, attentive to God's word when you sit in prayer, or meditation, reading scripture. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you're chatting with somebody and you're not really listening to what they say? You know it if you're honest with yourself. It's sort of kind of going through you, but you're thinking about other things. You might even be looking over their shoulder to see if somebody more interesting might be around. If we're honest, we all have had those moments. But I hope as well that at some stage in your life you have experienced what it means to have somebody listen attentively to you. A parent, a friend, a counsellor. Somebody who will look you in the eye, listen, and be able to reflect back to you what you have shared and said. What does it do? How do you feel? It makes you feel loved, valued. Makes you feel as though you are important to somebody, the focus of somebody's care and attention. It's a very powerful thing to attend carefully and diligently to somebody. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Listening involves attentively listening. 
not just hearing, not, not, just, not just waiting for a gap in the conversation so you can say what you want to say, but listening well. In fact, Christians, as we seek to live obedient to Jesus Christ, do well to remember that our very word obedient comes from the Latin word obediare, which means to listen deeply. To be obedient to Christ means to listen deeply to Christ, to pay careful attention to what God has to say to us. We're going to need to learn the tools and the resources of spiritual meditation, Christian meditation, prayer, uh, Bible study, uh, retreat, all of those things, if we're going to listen carefully to what God has to say. And it's going to be a struggle for us because we are facing a crisis in our attention span. I read an article uh, recently by a productivity author uh, from Canada, and uh, he has a new book out. It's called Chris Bailey, and the book's title is called Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. And the central argument he has is there are tons of books about time management. We've all learned about managing our time. What we haven't learned to do is to manage our attention. He says, one study found that when we're working in front of a computer, we focus on one thing for an average of just 40 seconds before switching our attention to something else. Have you ever experienced that? I have. The email pings in, text message pings in, WhatsApp goes. You suddenly think of a, you go on a tangential thought and open a new web browser to Google something, switch between applications. Most of the time, he says, we get back on track quickly. But we don't fare as well when we're interrupted completely. You know, the person who walks in and demands some attention or some time, the person who phones up. He says this, in fact, when someone interrupts us, it takes an average of 29 minutes to resume our focus. I have no idea what experiments he did to try and get these figures, um, but I think that's fascinating. He goes on and says, the, the trouble is we're distracted a lot of the time, and it leaves us feeling um, frustrated because we're not able to achieve and uh, complete the things that we want to do. But he said this, in conclusion, the most significant idea I encountered was a simple one, but with profound implications. The state of our attention determines the state of our lives. The moments in which we're distracted accumulate day by day, week by week, year by year, to create a life that feels distracted and overwhelming. On the other hand, when we focus for longer periods on what's productive and meaningful, important conversations, big work projects, experiences with loved ones, our lives improve by virtually every measure. Isn't that interesting? If we can take time and learn how to focus on things which are meaningful, important conversations, experiences with loved ones, pieces of work that are important to us, our lives improve by virtually every measure. He, con he concludes, in a world of constant distraction, it's, a it's time for a new focus, attention, management. I think he's right. I think we need to learn to be more attentive in every moment, to listen deeply, to listen well, to listen in a way that allows us to be changed. James uh, 1 verse 22 says this, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. In other words, James is saying, if we want to grow 
in our faith, if we want to follow Jesus faithfully, we have to listen to the word of God. We have to listen to the word of life spoken to us, and then we have to put it into action. Jesus, of course, told a parable uh, about the same kind of thing, didn't he, about uh, the people who hear his words and put them into action are like wise builders who build upon a rock. How can we do this? Well, I think there are some more clues in this passage to help us. And I think remembrance, remembering, and reflecting is a big part of this. Read on with me. James says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, let me be honest, some mornings, I think that's a bit of a blessing, right? Kind of, you look at yourself in the morning, you think, oh my goodness, those bags are getting absolutely awful. I'd rather not remember uh, how tired I look. But that's not really what James means here. What he means is that if we're going to um, pay attention to what God is saying to us, we're going to spend some time listening attentively to what God has to say in his word, but then we we turn away and we do nothing, it's as though we've just forgotten everything. It's as though we've just forgotten what he had to say to us. He says instead we should look into God's word, look into seeing what God has to say to us, and then um, look intently to examine carefully so that we can find the wisdom and the resources to live well. And that brings me onto this subject of remembering Because remembering is an important part of what it means to learn to live well and to be fashioned for the future. What's the point of remembering? It can be painful to remember our past, to remember the past. It can be painful to remember the experiences of failure, hurt, regret, the loss of loved ones. Wouldn't we be better off if we just obliterated our memories? Some of you remember the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That was an amazing film which explored the idea of whether it's better to wipe our memory and live free from it or whether actually that does more damage to ourselves. But that's subject for a different sermon some other time. A few years ago, the director of the British Museum, whose name was Neil McGregor, um, he published a book charting the history of Germany. And in one section of the book, he deals with the question of the moral uses of memory. He talks about why we should remember. And his concern was to explore the ways in which Germany has used remembrance and memory as a tool and a guide for shaping the moral purpose of the nation. And Neil McGregor observed that most nations um, build triumphal arches to celebrate and to commemorate victory. So when things are going well, we throw up an arch and we say, we won, it was great, we did fine. But in post-war Germany, commemorative arches and commemorative plaques are used to mourn the destructive violence of the past. They're used in a different way. There's one famous victory arch in Munich, which was built at the end of the 19th century, but was damaged by conflict by the the Second World War in the 20th century, and and it now has a new post-war inscription that roughly translates as this. It says this, celebration of victory destroyed by war, urging to peace. In other words, this arch was built to celebrate a victory, but look, it's damaged, and they haven't repaired the damage. There are bullet holes and mortar damage in this arch. It's destroyed by war. And what's it for? What's it there to remind us of? Urging to peace. 
Neil McGregor's claim is that in German national consciousness, the purpose of remembering and commemorating is not just to celebrate triumph, nor simply to mourn loss, but also to fashion our future. And I think that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because sometimes, by contrast, we think of um, remembering only as being about summoning to mind some kind of mythical golden age, some moment when everything was wonderful and everything was great. Or, or alternatively, sometimes we, we almost get lost and stuck in the pain of the past. I think it's a great challenge for Remembrance Sunday, isn't it? How do, we, how do we remember on Remembrance Sunday in such a way that we're not triumphalistically kind of um, saying, we, you know, we won. Um, we're not getting too stuck or caught up in the loss either, but we're saying, what does, how is this going to help us live now? How is this going to point us forwards? Because there are different ways of remembering. There is, um, there's a kind of remembering which I call simple recollection, calling to mind things of the past. And the thing about recollection is that it can lend itself towards nostalgia. We can put an Instagram filter on it and sort of rewrite the past according to sort of our own particular memories of it or what we want to say about ourselves in the present. Um, or we can feel dominated and plagued by the past, as though something that happened to us when we were young now has defined us and determines the way that we are. So that sense of victimhood can get stuck in. Now, I don't want to knock recollection entirely, because it's not bad to remember sort of your childhood, your, uh, to, to recall your school days, your school friends, to keep in touch with old friends. It's not bad to recall those that we have loved and lost. There's nothing wrong with celebrating those good memories. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the painful emotions of loss that they can bring. But I think in and of itself, it's not enough. I think there's a better way of remembering that God offers us, which gives us more resources for living well. What's this second way of remembering? Well, the former Bishop of London, Richard Charters, used to describe this remembering as being the opposite of dismembering. Dismembering pulls things apart. Things become broken, rent asunder, torn. And remembering is the act of putting things back together, reconciling things. Remembering has to be conscious of the dismembering. It has to be conscious of the past and the pain. And yet... It puts them back together. Puts, them, puts back together things that have been torn apart in a way that is honest and hopeful. Remembering is honest because it doesn't simply deny or suppress the pain of loss or suffering. And hopeful because it sees a way forwards. It sees things which are broken, mended, made whole, put together. T.S. Eliot, uh, the poet, wrote in Little Gidding this haunting line. He said, a people without a history is not redeemed from time. A people without a history is not redeemed from time. And I think he meant this. I think he meant that if we refuse to remember carefully, to listen to the, to the past carefully, if, if we live in the perpetual present, if we only ever do recollection in a way that is sort of nostalgic and, and uses an airbrush to, to color the past in ways that suit us, we actually deny ourselves a future. We become enslaved because we haven't really experienced forgiveness. The past has got all kinds of things which are painful, difficult, ways in which we've been hurt, ways in which we've hurt others. And if we deny that, if we suppress that, if we obliterate those memories, we remain enslaved to the eternal present, 
never truly free. A people without a history is not redeemed from time. The way forwards in remembering is always received through forgiveness. And forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that we experience in Jesus, is actually a kind of honest memory of the past. It's the kind of honest memory which is not terrified of the pain of the past, because we know that the past has no hold on us, but it also doesn't seek to deny or rewrite or redraw the lines of the past. We're not captive, we are set free. And so when we are reconciled to God in Christ, we are also led to be reconciled to one another, but in being reconciled to one another, we're also led to be reconciled to the past, present, and future of ourselves. We can live with the pain and the suffering, and indeed the sin of our own past, of our own present, and even that of the future, which has not yet come to pass, precisely because we know that we are forgiven in Christ. To remember in this way is to discover freedom and possibility for our future selves. St. Paul wrote in the letter to the Philippians that he wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, even sharing in his sufferings. He said that as we, as we seek to take hold of that future life that is promised to us, we know that that means passing through pain and loss. The real pain, the real suffering, the real loss of death, both of those that we love and in our own lives, can point us forward to a remembered future in which broken parts are put back together. And how does this then relate to this issue about being slow to speak in silence? Well, it takes silence it takes reflection to be able to remember, to remember in a way which is both recalling the past but being, re- being remembered in Christ for the future. And if we're going to do that, we need to be careful of how we use our words, be careful of how we make time and space for silence and reflection. James 1 verse 26 says, um, says this, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. In other words, we need to get better at how we control our words and what we say and what we share. It doesn't mean that we don't speak. It just might mean that we become slower to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Or as teachers are often in the habit of saying, you've got two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. Now that listening can be about the time that we spend reading and reflecting in prayer, attending to the voice of God in our lives. And we might need to make some habits to do that. We might need to make time to be silent. Jesus took time to be silent. He went off to a remote place early in the morning uh, by himself to be silent for solitude. He, he went off with friends for silence, for prayer. The Quaker tradition of the church gathers for worship and rests in silence until the Spirit prompts people to speak. So often in our tradition of church, we fill all the silence with words, we fill it with singing, we fill it with liturgy, And perhaps all of us need to become better at making space for silence. How can you do this in your own lives? Well, you could consider learning Christian meditation using things like the Lexio Divina method where you simply read Scripture and repeat lines of Scripture over, meditate upon Scripture 
You could learn to use the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Repeated pattern of prayer to acknowledge the presence of God and the goodness of God. You could simply meditate on the name of Jesus. You could go on retreat for a day, for a weekend. Men of the church are going on retreat at the end of this month. Andrew Large is leading um, a group of about 16, 17 men to go and spend 36 hours away resting with one another, praying with one another, eating together, laughing together, but making some time for silence and some space to be with Jesus. You could come and join us here at morning prayer at 9 o'clock on a weekday, a space where you can rest with God, where you can listen through Scripture to what God has to say. You could conduct a digital fast. Advent will soon be upon us, and Advent is not just about opening doors and calendars and eating chocolates. Advent is a season of fasting in the Christian year to prepare for the feast of Christmas. And just like Lent, it's good to give things up in Advent. This last Lent, I took all of the social media apps off my phone so that I couldn't just sit on the sofa kind of scrolling through to see whether anything interesting had happened in the world. Perhaps a digital fast, a digital detox is a good thing. Make space for silence. It's hard because we're so accustomed to always being plagued and dominated by words. But be patient with yourself. Be patient with one another. And be encouraged by this. God is patient with you. God has set aside all eternity to spend with you in his presence. There will be plenty of time to listen and to speak. There will be time for silence. There will be time to rest and enjoy his presence. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us the disciplines of silence, that you would make us slow to speak, that we would be careful with our words. And that we would remember well as we pay careful attention and listen deeply to what you are saying to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain in an attitude of prayer and Jonathan is going to come and lead our intercessions.